Welcome to the latest uh, Media Agenda Talk. Um, good to see so many of you continuing to come. First, a little um, notice. To those of you who are coming on the um, Media History Walk after this, can you make sure you stay behind because at sort of 6.15 in here we're going to sort out the groups and then we're going to go on a lovely walk around local media history sites. And I feel a little bit like a piece of media history tonight, um, partly because one of the lovely things I did in my career before coming to the LSE was to work at the BBC for 10 years. Um, when was it? The 90s. The 90s. And I worked in television. We used to call it television then. Uh, television News and Current Affairs. Uh, it's now called Visual Journalism. Uh, and in a sense, you kind of think, well, television, visual journalism, what could be more quaint? The idea of, you know, this screen, somebody makes stuff, and you can't swipe the television screen, can you? Um, but, uh, in fact, television news, television visual journalism is... Uh, incredibly popular still, incredibly resilient, and it's still the way that most people uh, get most of their, their news, not just in Britain, but internationally. But of course, it's also changing, partly what's happening inside the box as it was, as it were, but also in terms of how uh, people uh, relate and watch that TV news. We're very lucky tonight that we've got Amanda Farnsworth, who dare I say, is also uh, somebody who, who's got some media history to her. She's somebody who's got tremendous experience at the BBC of editing their flagship news programmes. She had a lot of fun recently being involved uh, with the BBC's Olympic coverage um, and is currently, as I say, head of uh, BBC Visual Journalism. She is going to take you... Can we get rid of the Java? <laughs> Update. Skip this version and remind me later. Not so. Thank you, Nick. Thanks a lot, Nick. Um, so, Amanda's going to take you on a tour of BBC visual journalism, what it does, the variety of it, and a lot of new stuff that's, that's happening. Um, so, I'll let Amanda get on with it, and at the end of it, you can ask her questions about the BBC's visual journalism or perhaps even wider issues around the BBC. Can I just ask before we start? How many people have actually consumed any BBC visual journalism? Yeah. yeah, you've got a lot of customers out there, Amanda. The other thing I want to remind you that if you are uh, doing uh, Twitter tonight, the hashtag is PolisBBC. Okay, thanks very much, Amanda. Thanks very much, Charlie. Thanks for having me here. And thank you all for coming. You know, you always get this kind of um, little bit of you which goes, will anyone turn up? But here you all are. And the second weird thing, apart from the fact that you've all turned up, is that 30 years ago, yes, when, he, when Charlie said tremendous history in the BBC, what he meant was I'm quite old, actually. And 30 years ago, I was sitting where you were because I am, in fact... Uh, an alumni, as they call them, uh, this was where I went to university, and I used to have my psychology lectures in here. 
And all I can say is I didn't end up doing a degree in psychology, and I hope that my little um, tour around visual journalism at the BBC is a bit more interesting than most of the lectures I consumed in this room. I'm sure it's much better than it was then. Um, but uh, I think visual journalism was one of those, it's one of those new catchphrases that um, uh, has sort of come into the ether in the last few years. And, um, uh, you know, in my previous life, I've done jobs like, um, as Charlie said, I was editor of the six o'clock television news, our, um, our flagship news bulletin. I was deputy editor of Newsnight, which is our late night current affairs show. Um, I was bureau chief in Washington, D.C. in the 90s. And um, whenever anyone in those days used to say, you oh, know, Amanda, what do you do? And I could say, well, I'm, you know, and they'll understand. And now they go, what do you do, Amanda? And I go, I'm the head of visual journalism at BBC News. And they go, what's that? <laughs> so I thought I'd better just start with a kind of little bit of a definition. Because in true BBC style, visual journalism at the BBC isn't actually what visual journalism outside the BBC is either. Stay with me. So normally, I think if you, if you were to Google visual journalism, um, you would find a lot of references to online kind of online, multimedia, high-end, interactive kind of stuff. And indeed, we do do that. But not exactly uniquely, but po possibly uniquely, and very probably we are, um, as they say, first movers in the market. Because we're a broadcasting organisation, we're not a newspaper, we don't come from a print background, we want to make our television... Uh, particularly our television assets but also some of our radio assets come together with our online journalists and developers and designers and create what we call visual journalism. So if I look at my team, I'll just explain who, who works for me, all the television graphic designers work for me. So the people that do all those graphics that pop up in those screens next to Hugh Edwards or within um, our reports on the news programmes or Newsnight, they all work for me. But in addition, I've got a team of online journalists who do the journalism around that multimedia interactive stuff that you see online. And we've also got um, a chunk of developers who write the code that make things work and designers for the online environment as opposed to the tele environment. So I guess you all kind of, a lot of you will have a tablet. And if I was to ask the question, you know, what is tablet? Is that, te is that a television or is it a kind of computer? And the answer is, well, it's kind of both, really. And I think we are in that place, and we want to really work at that place where, where platforms are converging and platforms are coming together. And really, it's not so much about how you're consuming content. It's about what you want to do with it, and it's about not the platform, but about the content itself. So that's a little introduction. Um, I'm going to now hopefully give you um, uh, quite a lot of stuff which is like moving and fun and video led rather than a lot of stats and graphs. But you can ask me about stats and graphs and things later too if you like. Um, so to kind of kick off, to kick off, to kick off. <laughs> Here's what I say when people ask me. I've told you what it really is. It's bringing television and online together and kind of innovating in that new space. But we want to do that to what end? To use our skill and creativity to engage and inform our audiences on the biggest and most significant stories, not the whole kind of run-of-the-mill run stuff. We, no, no one has enough money to do the kind of run-of-the-mill stuff, but on the big breaking stories and on the big set-piece events and provide really kind of personalised, shareable visual explanations for things. Um, we've got this newsroom. This doesn't look very good, but bear with me. 
Um, we've got this newsroom now where we have put all our online journalists, almost all, certainly all the people who are working on the daily news, our online journalists, our um, graphic designers, our picture editors, the people who work for television, the people that work for radio, all coming together in, I think it's Europe's biggest newsroom. And this is a truly multimedia newsroom where we all share resources and we share ideas. I wouldn't say we're kind of 100% perfect, all kind of working across platforms seamlessly, but, the, but we've made a really big start by bringing all our mediums together into one place. And here's a gratuitous bit of telly, which you may or may not have seen. Um, this is one of the most bizarre and wonderful moments in broadcasting history, in my, my view. It's when the Queen, she, who I actually, I do adore the Queen, I've got to tell you, uh, she came to Broadcasting House, and I think there was a fair amount in the press about Queen goes into, um, you know, lefty hothouse. Um, uh, but in fact, um, the Queen went into a place where I don't think she's ever, in fact I know because I do a lot of royal events and royal coverage myself, I don't think she's ever quite experienced what she experienced that morning with people literally jumping over their desks to, um, to get anywhere near her. And so this is um, the moment as it was captured live on air by the BBC News Channel. Oh no, go back. Hang on. Finger trouble. Here we go. Now we are completely impartial at the BBC and balanced in our reporting as I think that showed. Um, but the only tenuous link I can give you is to just say that there were the online, um, the people, the journalists for the web and telly and radio were equally as crazy trying to get somewhere near the Queen. So we are a truly multi-platform, multimedia newsroom. Um, slightly more seriously, I think what visual journalism can do so as I say, it's that graphic, very visual content, could be moving, could be static. But what it can do is help us meet three of the real challenges that our audience gives us, and they're these three things. How to be distinctive. You know, if you look at uh, the kind of agenda, the news agenda followed by most mainstream media, it's pretty similar. Um, if you compare us with Sky News or ITN News on the television, or you look at the Daily Telegraph website or the Guardian website, you know, there'll be a few differences, but we all, you know, we, we follow a kind of news agenda. So in, if we've all got the same kind of agenda, how does the BBC actually sort of stand out and be distinctive in that market? And I think actually our visual journalism is one of the ways that we can meet that challenge. Secondly, the BBC is often seen as a, as a really, and it's, this is true, you know, we're a trustworthy, impartial, balanced news reporting organisation with a great history, uh, we have great expertise and analysis, um, and we really care about what we do. I care passionately about what, what we do. Um, but sometimes we can, see, can, can be seen to be um, sometimes a little bit old-fashioned in how we approach things. So, you know, no one kind of often says the BBC is at the cutting edge, although, of course, there's plenty of history to show that we are. iPlayer, if any of you are using iPlayer, is a BBC uh, a product. Um, but I think our visual journalism can help us reinforce that message that actually we are really modern and lively. And then thirdly, you know, they say a picture you know, tells a thousand words. Well, just that basic understanding, that, that kind of easy way of just going, yeah, I get that because I can see it visually rather than having to listen to lots of words that tell me something about it. So these are the three audience challenges. I've sort of framed some of the examples that I'm going to show you around those three challenges. Um, so first of all, distinctiveness. 
how to stand out in the, in the market. Now, I know um, quite a few of you will probably not be British or English. Um, you'll probably come from overseas to study here. That was certainly true in my day. Well, you'll probably have found out already that we are completely still obsessed with class in this country. And therefore, to tap into that you know, uh, vein of, of interest, uh, we invented uh, what we called the Great British Class Calculator in conjunction with several universities and also um, a lot of uh, sort of geeky people in the BBC who crunch numbers and stuff. And um, this particular, I'm going to go and show you it because I don't know how many of you actually took the test or not, but it got 6.9 million page views, which is phenomenally big. Uh, it was shared 50 times for every 1,000 page, page views. It's the most shareable thing we've ever done. And um, an, an average of people clicked eight times uh, per page view. So those are um, really stonking figures. So let's, um, let's just take a look at it. How does that look? I think we'll just about get the size of it. So, this is um, so in conjunction with uh, something called BBC Labs and several universities. 161,000 people was, were surveyed and asked to tell uh, the, the, uh, the uh, researchers about their lives. And from that, they constructed six classes. We've, we've really had sort of, low, uh, sort of working class, middle class, and upper class in this country. But they decided, no, no, that's not sophisticated enough. We need six classes now. So what you do is uh, you take your test. And this was uh, something that worked on desktop, on mobile, and on tablet. And you just fill in, you know, uh, what's your household income? Little click. Do I rent or own? I own. And do I have any savings? I have some savings. Go to next. And these are about the people that I work, that I um, I socialise with. So I socialise with Charlie and um, uh, with my niece and um, uh, with someone I met on the bus uh, and um, say a secretary. Okay, that's my, my kind of uh, group of social pals. And, uh, and of course, I listen to huge amounts of hip-hop music. So I'll, I'll post that. Uh, I do actually love sports. I'm a West Ham fan, so that bit's true. Let's see what I end up as. I'm a technical middle class. Um, I mix socially with people similar to myself. Uh, and I work in a research, science, or technical field. It's not, actually not and I enjoy going to the gym and using social media. That's not... I, don't laugh. I do. I do. I've got a Twitter account and everything. So, anyway, so this, this, this is kind of, you know, the kind of thing that we do to stand out in the market. You know, you could write a very worthy article about this, but we didn't. We used a calculator. And what you could do at the end of it is share your result. And that's what was really kind of, as you say, in the social media world, sticky about it. You know, people would share it and then share it and share it and share it and then do it again and be more truthful the next time and share it again. And that's what really kind of worked um, and, and made it kind of stand out, if you like, in the market. Let's go back. So that's one thing that, we, that, that, that we've done. And, and what we can do, because we kind of obviously have television channels as well, is we can kind of blur the distinction between online, it being an online thing, and being a telly thing. So we gave it to one of our media correspondents, and he took it out in Covent Garden, not so far from here. And this is a report that appeared on all of the uh, uh, bulletins on television that day, and also on the news channel, and there were various versions done for other radio outlets. So let's take a look at this and see how that worked in a television environment. It, I can assure you there's real academic bottom behind this survey, but you can have some fun with it. Um, 
And that is what happened to the page views online just as our bulletins were going out. So as the package went out on the 1 o'clock news, the 6 o'clock news and the 10 o'clock news, you see that huge spike. And that is, you know, the power of cross-platform. And because we are, you know, we're paid for by everyone who has a licence fee, it's really important to us that our content gets to as many people as possible. And that's why it matters. Um, and, and we don't just do um, projects which are about calculators, but we do have quite a few calculators. We've got a fuel calculator, for example. Um, when our budget comes out and the government decides what they're going to spend money on, you can put all your details in and find out whether you're better or worse off. But we also do quite a lot of things um, that just are very personable and shareable. So uh, down, down on the bottom right, actually, is a, is a, a piece we did um, for the many language services at the BBC runs. This one was in Russian and um, uh, it was about what Olympic athlete are you? So you could put in your kind of details and discover you were a Chinese swimmer. Sadly not me. I was not a Chinese swimmer. I was neither, neither was I at the other end of the scale on a weightlifter but I, I think I was a three day eventer which I think is all right, as long as you're not the horse, obviously. Um, you could also put in your date of birth to, to the other, uh, this calculator here um, and find out uh, whether you were, what, what number baby you were in human history. And um, uh, I'm around three and a half million, just so you know. So these sort of personal relevance projects are hugely popular. And okay, they, they probably appeal to a particular kind of section of, of the audience more than others. And if we were only doing the stuff which kind of is fun but also quite meaningful, it's quite interesting to know how the price of fuel you're paying compares with the price of fuel that other people are paying, either in this country or other countries. Um, you know, and, and to find out which, which, work, which baby you are is really important to understand how many people there are in the world and the rate of change and the growth and the population. So there's always a serious side to it. But, I, uh, you know, if we were only doing these things, you'd think, hang on, maybe we haven't got the balance right. But we do a lot of even more serious things than this. Um, but on the actual shareable nature, I think that's the thing that makes these calculators so kind of compelling. Um, so on the fuel calculator, you can say, I pay... X amount more than average to fill up. Um, with Olympic athletes, you can say I am Paloma Schmidt. I think she was. A, um, I don't know what Paloma did actually. Um, or you can share your class, etc. And that that is really popular. Um, second audience challenge is about modernity. So it's sort of like helping people to, to realise that the BBC you know, is a pretty cutting-edge broadcasting organisation. And um, one of the things that we have in the BBC in our new building and new broadcasting house is a virtual reality studio. I don't know how many of you have ever experienced that, but it's basically a big green room. It can be just a big green wall or it can be a big green curtain um, in years gone by, but we've now got a big green room with cameras in it. And onto the greenness, you can project anything you like. So you can put a correspondent on Mars, you can put a correspondent on the sea floor, which is where our science editor, David Schuchman, is in this picture. And we use it to kind of uh, tell stories in a more visual and engaging way. People kind of look at, at David Shipman on the sea floor and go, blimey, you know, 
what's that then and engage with it in a way that they don't in you know more traditional um, storytelling techniques sometimes it's a way of kind of waking the viewer up if you like and we thought how can we use that was essentially a television linear TV asset and put it online and use it in a different way and the way that we started exploring with is to put kind of video hotspots uh, on the uh, on the actual uh, online version of the of the television uh, experience and you can interact with them and, and find out more and so let's have a look at that to see how it's working okay so I'm seeing a bit more uh, information about what a deep sea vent is that's what this whole experience is about these big vents that are on the seafloor and they uh, they're kind of near where the earth's uh, various plates meet and they're very rich in minerals and they're rich in kind of unique sea life and stuff so I learn a bit more about that and then when I close the window hopefully I should go back to the lovely David telling me what's what it's one of the things that I know the industry is really keen to kind of get right and explore the interactivity of video and so there we are the BBC we've already started doing it but we are, we're not always doing it on our own we've got several partners that we do it with as well um, just to show you whilst I've got it here this was another wonderful multimedia project we did bringing television and the web together it's called how to put a human on Mars we work with Imperial College on this who um, have done a lot of work about what it would actually take to travel to Mars and uh, we've used um, WebGL, web graphics library um, which is used in some ho Hollywood movie to allow us to um, in a news environment so I don't think it's been done in a news environment before manipulate various 3D objects like Mars uh, or like the spacecraft that, was, um, that we designed according to the Imperial College specs so you can kind of see it from lots of different angles but also um, a lot of video that we made specially including some in our um, virtual reality studio to kind of imagine what the trip would be like so just listen to a few seconds of this and this is um, um, a, a startup company that we work with called Wirewax and they make a um, particular kind of interactive video where they, have, they put interactive tags on the video and you can click on them and things happen uh, but it's far more sophisticated than what we've started to experiment with in-house and you can actually um, click on a video and get to another video which uh, we haven't yet managed to do um, so let's have a look at that and this was the piece we did I bring I brought with me um, the, the latest um, the very latest no one outside the BBC has actually seen this before because we only did it in the last week or two and this is absolutely pilots not even on our website yet but uh, we're uh, another kind of startup company we're working with is, is called Touchcast and they are doing again kind of interactive video but in a very different way they have an iPad app in fact it's a publicly available iPad app some of you may or may not have used it um, and uh, essentially you, you kind of program in the events that you want to happen before you start speaking and then as you speak you press a button and the various applications open and they may be a map they may be a web page um, eventually they will be video and audio and various other things as well uh, we did a bit of post-production on this one because the um, iPad app at the moment doesn't you can't get video into it so we had to take it into a desktop environment put video into it but this is how it will this is how it would look and we're just experimenting with the touchcast people about you know does this work is this good for us who would want to use it how could we use it on what kinds of stories right now 
I mean, it's not going to. No, it's not going to do it. I'll describe what it does. So, um, Rory was at a big Berlin tech show, and um, he, uh, that's where they launched the Samsung mobile phone watch thing. Uh, and uh, various other products, and he used the TouchCast to um, basically kind of have a much more interactive speaking experience with the with the viewers. Um, he, well, the first thing he does is say, "Hey, you can look at my blog. You can click on his blog. That's that kind of big." Um, pointy finger in the corner and you can read his blog and if you click on his blog then he just kind of becomes a little kind of thing in the corner and keeps speaking whilst you look at his blog but if you interact with the blog um, it stops uh, pauses him until you've stopped interacting with the blog and then you can go back and pick up where you were with him and so it's kind of like you know it's not dissimilar to the deep water horizon idea it's not dissimilar in some ways to uh, the um, the other interactive video that I've shown you but it is a new kind of sense of how to do it it means that the correspondent is still very much at the heart and center of the piece communicating with the audience not looking down all the time and being very interactive and less formal um, and, you know, here we are at the BBC doing all these kinds of experiments. Sorry I couldn't show you that. I would love to have done. There we go. This is more like the old BBC. This is something that actually is quite cutting edge, but we called it Project 50p because it literally cost 50p to do. Um, we um, nearly went to war with Syria, as you probably know, um, not very long ago. Uh, and uh, we wanted to have a kind of very quick way of having a sort of interactive uh, um, tool that the correspondents could use to sort of explain any military action. So, you know, where war warships were sailing from, where bombing runs were being done and what the targets were. These are the sorts of things that we've done before with like, very expensive uh, and quite complicated uh, pieces of kit um, but we needed something that would be ready very quickly and so what we did was take um, an Android app and just sort of break it out and, and, uh, and uh, write a bit of new code in it and then we put it back in the uh, tablet, the Android tablet we bought and then the correspondent could literally be sitting next to a present, pre presenter in a studio and uh, just press a button and things would happen that he pre-programmed or she pre-programmed uh, to happen. So, you know, you could tell the story of the first wave of bombings, for example, and all these, um, these graphics would appear on all the big screens that you see in our studios all the time. So another way of kind of blurring that distinction between online and the web and telly, here's something that's absolutely online but working on the television. And finally, that, that final audience challenge, understanding. So um, if I told you that dark blue is bad and light blue is good, then you immediately get that, that that one end of this graphic is a good place to be and the other end of this graphic is a bad place to be. And what this graphic is about is how uh, the age of police officers under 26 in each of the police forces in this country. And... Um, uh, uh, Dark blue is basically they're hardly recruiting anyone under 26 and light blue is, you know, all the youngsters are flocking there. So essentially, I'm afraid Cleveland's at the bottom. So if you are a burglar in Cleveland, you are more likely to win the chase post the evil deed being done. 
Uh, and I think, you know, these are the sorts of graphics which you're probably all used to looking at, which just is, you know, you can just look at it and you get it very, very quickly. It's a, it's a, it's a way of just visualising data in a user-friendly way. There are many, many different ways of doing it, but it, you kind of get it in a way that, you know, you wouldn't get it so quickly otherwise. Um, and we reinforce that kind of cross-platform nature of, of, of what we do through branding. So you'll see the same kind of Baroness Thatcher's funeral branding online and on television. But if I just talk about the fact that we also now have to design very much for all the different kind of versions, all the different devices that you might be watching on. Um, and this is um, just a graphic which shows um, on uh, yeah, the left-hand side here. That's what you get if you've got a really old-fashioned phone. I'm sure none of you have those. Uh, you get a bit more when you get to a smartphone, a bit more when you get to tablet, and then the full Monty when you get to desktop. But um, it's really important for us now to design specifically um, not just for desktop. And our basic offer is always desktop and mobile these days. That's because although our news audience kind of has stayed pretty, you know, solid uh, throughout the years, this is what's happening at weekends and now actually happening during the week, which is that the people coming to the news site on mobile is overtaking the number of people coming on desktop. And that's quite a recent phenomenon, it's really only in the last year or two. Uh, it's happened much more quickly than we thought. But it means that if you're doing fancy graphics and fancy motion graphics and video and all this stuff, which we thought a few years ago would be primarily just for people on desktop, I know I do use my mobile phone like a desktop all the time. I want all the graphics, I watch loads of video, I watch lots of live video. Um, and we found that during the Olympics that that phenomenon really took hold in this country. So it's no good just being, oh, you know, 50% of our audience can see it because they're looking on, on a desktop. We've got to be there where people want it and all those different devices. It makes design a lot more complicated than it was. But let's have a, just a, a, another word about data, going back to data. So you can get these kind of basic visualisations. Um, and this is just, you know, it's a map. It tells you about the percentage of the population who paid a bribe across the world. This was incredibly popular. It got nearly a million hits. Um, but it's basically taking some data and saying, let's show it on a map or let's show it in some way. The next stage, I mean, having used that data, you know, you've got to make sure it's good data, you've got to make sure it's, uh, you know, sourced well, etc., etc. But the next stage is to take two sets of data and bring them together and find out something new you didn't know before. So in this case, in USA Today, they took the um, pollution readings from every um, uh, pollution uh, monitoring device that the EPA had set up. They plotted them against every primary and secondary school, or high school as they say, and, they, and then every parent could look up how, what the pollution level was near little Johnny's school. It went down very well amongst the parents and they won lots of awards for it. But they found out something genuinely new by bringing two sets of data together. And that's where I want the BBC to go with its data journalism. Not just visualisation, but finding out new things. Um, we've got a couple of projects in the pipeline that I really hope will, will, show, will, will show that we can do that in, in the coming months. Okay, I'm about to, uh, I'm winding up now. Um, uh, I want to say that data can be fun and I want to say that visual journalism can be fun so I'll just play you, hopefully play you this and um, 
all will be revealed in a minute. That was a programme that was on um, just a few months ago and um, it was the top rating programme on BBC Two, even more than Top Gear, um, which is incredibly um, uh, popular, got nearly 5 million people watching it. Um, but what is the link with data, I hear you say? Fear not. Uh, so the Horizon people had no money for their website and said, can you do something for us? We're gathering all this data. We've put GPSs on you know, every cat in this village near Guildford, and we've got cat cams on 50 cats. And we want to kind of, you know, we can get so much into an hour of television, but what can we do with all the rest of the stuff? cat lover am I? You came to the right place, I said. So we devoted a huge amount of resources to this. And we created this website. And um, look, there is a kind of, you know, uh, a beauty to this website. Um, each of these are the real cats, drawn by one of our um, online designers. And you click on a cat and you can learn more about the cat. So hang on a minute. Let me go. Oh, okay, so we're up here. <laughs> Right, I'm going to click on Orlando. Here's my favourite. And when I click on Orlando, I get all that data that was in, on, around his neck. This is Orlando's journey. That's his territory. And um, I get a little pen portrait of him. He was, he used to be a feral cat in Hong Kong. In, <laughs> he refuses cat food and survives by hunting wildlife. Now, anyone who knows, so, so, okay, that's all I want to talk about, about the data. Like, wow, you know, you've just got all this data and you can map it and it looks great, okay? And we've got lots of fun, fancy facts about Orlando and how many, how many poor, poor prints he made and everything else. Um, but the most interesting thing that happened to Orlando is anyone who owns a cat will know this, that if they eat things that isn't cat food, not always is it a very good idea. Thank you very much.